This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Exodus chapter 31 and we hit a this is a transition point, and this is a pivot point, and it's a pivot point not only in in the book of Exodus, but it's a pivot point in Scripture. There, there is a strong necessity that I spend some time explaining this in some detail because the principle that is laid out in the Sabbath rest or the Sabbath law or understanding that we have a, this is a deep spiritual guidance that God has given us here. And it should not be overlooked and it should not be, it should not be passed by too quickly because the Sabbath rest, we see, we see God giving us that Sabbath rest. We see God resting in creation in the very first part of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we see the rest of God or God presenting this principle in his literal, in the actions of creation, he institutes this principle. Then we get to Exodus, and at the end of God explaining how to build the place where he dwells with us, where he, where we come together and dwell with him, the tabernacle, now that's going to later on become a permanent place called the temple. And then in the New Testament, that permanent place uh, is our bodies. Literally, the tabernacle and the temple are foreshadowings of us personally, God dwelling within us himself. And so at the end of this, at the end of this, at the end of this teaching about how God wants to dwell with us, how God wants to have personal intimate relationship with us. And interestingly enough, <clears throat> Right before the rebellion of the golden calf, which is next chapter, right before that happens, you have God giving them the importance of why he's doing all this, and that is the Sabbath rest. Why are we building the tabernacle? Why are we building the temple? Why is the Holy Spirit, why is God, why is God as far as his relationship with us placed in us a new human spirit and the Holy Spirit. Why does God dwell within our hearts? Why is the kingdom of God no longer somewhere where I can find it in the physical earth, but it's literally in the physical body of human beings? Why is all that going on? It it all revolves around the Sabbath rest. And in all actuality, it not only revolves around the Sabbath rest, it revolves around the Sabbath rest in key places in Scripture. Genesis then Exodus, and then the book of Hebrews, which doesn't have an author. I actually think the apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, but but the book of Hebrews, which is the, the theological book of the New Testament to the Jewish mind or to Eastern culture, and it is 
It is the book that ties the Old Testament to Jesus in 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 context of Jewish understanding. And so the book of Hebrews is a powerful teaching on how God God has been revealing his plan from Old Testament to New Testament through Jesus Christ. In the middle of that book, the idea of the Sabbath rest is presented, and it is still really important. It is a understanding that we should not pass by easily. Let me start with Exodus chapter 31. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying this. Now, he's giving them instructions about how to build this tabernacle, and he's not been speaking to the children of Israel. He's been speaking to Moses and Aaron and the elders. Now he says to the children of Israel, this he's, he's, he's expanding out his message here. He's going and saying, I want this to be known to everyone. This is the whole purpose of us doing these things. The reason I've come to the leadership of Israel, the reason I've come to Moses and Aaron and told them to build this tabernacle is for this reason. And I want you to tell the children of Israel this. He says, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep, not now, when you're when you're reading through Scripture, oftentimes when you run across "shall," you it can be a little disconcerting. And the reason is because it seems like legalistic. It seems like lawful. It seems like it's harsh. Let me say this: as an attorney, "shall" is an important word, and I will say that because you need to understand when in the law in just regular law, the law of the United States, the law of your state, when you run across a part of the code and it says shall, that means no room for movement. There's no, you don't get to, you don't get to try to figure out how to get around it. There, there's no wiggle room. The word shall means I am not giving you any wiggle room on this. And you must do this. This is a non-negotiable. This is one of those things that can't be changed. It shall be done. That's why you see it in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. It is you shall not do these things. Not negotiable. That it is a it is a integral aspect in the Old Testament. It's an integral aspect of God's character and nature. And we know that because we see it in crea in the creation account. It is clearly spelled out in the creation account. He said, surely my Sabbath you shall keep. By the way, he said surely too. And that's not meaning he called you surely. It is, he means, you. he uses surely and shall in the same sentence. That you can't, that there's nothing, that, there's no more to be said about that. He's, when he's speaking with the Jews, and let me tell you something, Jewish culture and Jewish, Jewish jurisprudence, their law, come, starting with Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and the Deuteronomic Code, and then moving forward all the way to Jesus' time, really, to tell you the truth, the, their whole lives revolved around this commandment and keeping the Sabbath and keeping the worship of God as the centerpiece and the most important aspect of the Jewish life, of Jewish culture. 
And even if you just said, I'm not sure that this is that important because God gave us other, as far as the 10 commandments are concerned. And so it's just one of the 10. I will tell you, historically speaking, it has not been that way. Historically speaking, it's not been that way. Historically speaking, this law is the preeminent law other than loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in the Jewish culture. It just has been. And, and they come up with the most intricate understandings about what is work, what might even be mechanical work, or what might be physical labor, and the things you can and cannot do to break the Sabbath or to break God's rest. And so he says, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Notice, he says, for it is a sign between me and you, meaning it has been, I started in Genesis, it's a sign between us. This idea of keeping the Sabbath is a sign between us throughout the generations, meaning from Adam to Jesus to now the end times, throughout the generations, this is a sign that you and I have a covenant relationship. This is the sign that we have a covenant relationship. And you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This is the Old Testament term that's directly correlated to the New Testament term sozo, which we use for salvation. Okay, it, this he says through this you walk in your salvation. You get you're sanctified. This is how you become like me in my will. This through this right here is how you do it. This is how you do it. And if you don't. If you don't understand this and you don't take this teaching to heart, if you don't spend time learning this, then you're going to miss out on a strong and important aspect of sanctification. He says, everyone who profanes it, he says, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. It's holy to you. It's what makes you holy. Okay? He says, everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off among his people. Now, I, I need to explain this because it's not just about going to church on Sunday. This is a big, it's a deeper spiritual principle than that. Now, showing up to worship and failing to assemble yourself is an aspect of it, but it, it is just the superficial aspect of it. It's not the it's not the most important aspect of it. But I'm gonna say this: it is an aspect of it. And now Jesus defined the Sabbath a little better. He, he gave us understandings in its principles and its purpose because the Sabbath, notice, notice he says it is for you. The Sabbath is to make us holy. It's for us. But it still is of the utmost importance. And <clears throat> we know it's the, of the utmost importance. By the way, I'm going to spend some time on this, so you don't have to say I don't totally get it because I'm going to go over it several times in several ways so that you'll get it and you'll, or that you'll have a chance to understand the importance of it. In Hebrews chapter 3, you, you see a transition at the end of the chapter where he begins to transition into an understanding of what it means to have God's rest or have the peace of God, or have the or have the the spirit-filled Christian life, the power of God, of entering into entering into His rest, which in Scripture is the Sabbath rest. It's a picture of that. It's a picture of entering into the Promised Land or the promise promises of God. But every time you see that idea of having God's rest, 
entering into his rest, entering into the promised land, keeping the Sabbath and keeping it holy. All these things are intricately tied together scripturally. He says, for who having heard rebelled, meaning all the way back to where we're studying today, they heard how God had said, do these things. They heard the Ten Commandments. They heard you shall not have any other gods before me. He said, they heard how to build the tabernacle. They heard how to have a relationship with me. They've been given all the revelation that they needed to know me. Speaking of the children of Israel in the desert, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? He's saying, everybody saw the miracles that I delivered them in. Everybody saw uh, the protection that I gave them. Everybody saw the destruction I gave to Pharaoh's troops, which is a picture of the Satan's power. I crushed his power. I delivered them out of Egypt. He, I gave them all that. <clears throat> now, with whom was he angry for the years? Was it not those who sinned, those whose corpses fell in the wilderness? What was he saying? He said, I did all this, and then <clears throat> I was angry with them. And they died in the wilderness because I was angry with them. Now, I want you to realize that the picture, and I always have to say this because people fail to understand, it's not talking about going to hell. They've already had all the pictures of sanctification, all the pictures of justification, all the pictures of being converted, all the pictures of being God's children. But what did they miss out on? Well, it says they missed out on the hits. Was it not those who sinned whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Notice, there is a important link between salvation, the peace of God, the spirit-filled life, the power of God, and obedience born of faith. And that's what he says. That I, I told them they would not enter my rest. Why would they not enter my rest? Why would they not have that Sabbath rest that I promised? Why would they not have the spirit-filled Christian life that I've promised? Why did I allow them to die in the wilderness without it? Now, notice you can be born again. You can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and yet you cannot experience the spirit-filled, powerful Christian life, and you can still go to heaven, but you miss out on all the reasons why God gives us this gift in this lifetime. You miss out on what God's whole purpose is to glorify himself in you in power and, and in glory. He, he wants to do that in your life on a regular basis. You miss out on it when you do not enter his rest. He says, but to those who did not obey, so you see, they could not enter it because of not disobedience, but unbelief. He says, obedience that is born of faith. And they did not enter it because they failed to obey because they did not believe. They did not have any faith. He says, the reason they didn't enter my best, they didn't get, I love to change it to my best sometimes because it gives you a more, a, a more broad view of what we're talking about. The rest of God is the peace of God, the power of God, the purpose of God, the passions of God, the principle of God giving you his fullness and his power. You, you cannot enter it unless you're obedient by faith to God's 
truth. Not obedience for obedience sake, but obedient because I trust God and I trust what he says. And they were not allowed to enter God's rest because of their disobedience, because they're unwilling to follow God's uh, guidance, follow God's leadership, follow his instructions. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What, what he's saying is, if you love God and want to experience God's best, you've got to you've got to do what he says in obedience, because not because he said it, but because you trust in him, you believe in him, and you realize that whatever he says is the best for you. And now, listen, we're going to go into chapter uh, four in Hebrews, and it's going to give us a deep dive into the understanding of what it means to enter God's rest, what it means to to have that Sabbath rest in a spiritual sense. But I don't want you to miss out on the importance because we're going to go back. I don't want you to miss out on the importance of it because in verse 14 of 31, he says, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Notice it's holy to you. Every one who profanes it shall surely be put to death. What happened to, what does Hebrew says happened to the children of Israel? And they did not enter the promised land. They profaned the idea of being able to have the sanctification, the full salvation of God, and have it fully at work in their lives and experience all that God has for them. They profaned it and they died. He said, for everyone who does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Notice, if you profane it, if you treat it as common, if you treat it as something that's not important, it causes death. And he says, if you just don't follow it, it causes you to be what? Cut off. And that's what we see happen to the children of Israel who die in the wilderness. They're unwilling to believe God. They're unwilling to trust God. They're unwilling to enter his rest. And when they're unwilling to do it, God cuts them off. God cuts them off. Now, that doesn't mean you go to hell. That just means that you don't ever have God's best. You never experience it. All the promises that come with walking with Jesus Christ, you miss out on. All the peace that comes from knowing him, you don't have. All the purpose that you have for uh, living and all the purpose that you have for uh, walking through this world, you don't know. You never know it. The power of God actively working in your life, you never experience it. You don't ever get the fullness of what salvation really is. And salvation is being made like God, choosing his will over, over, over our own will. You never get it. You just never get it. And you don't get it because you're unwilling to treat this promise of God's Sabbath rest. You're unwilling to treat it as the holy and important thing that it is. And you, you treat it as something that's just another part of your day, another part of your life. And so many Christians I see do this. And it is, and, and let me tell you, modern-day Christianity has made it easy to do this. Modern-day Christianity has made it one of the things that we want to, like we talked about yesterday, we want to consume Christianity as a product rather than experience Christianity as a relationship. And when we do that, let me say this to you. You are missing out on the whole purpose of Jesus coming. If you think that the reason Jesus came is so that you wouldn't have to go to hell, you are just scratching the surface of why he came. He didn't just come so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. He came so that you could know him. He came so that you could experience him. He came so that you could walk with him. He came so that in the darkest hours of your life, you would know the presence and the power of Almighty God. And and to treat it as just a pass from heaven to hell, to treat it as, as a ticket out of the experience of 
being cut off from God in eternity, to treat it like it's just some kind of insurance policy against being lost forever after you die is foolishness. It is foolishness, and it is to be grieved over by those of us who know what it is to walk with God and experience his life within us. I would say to you today, don't do that. Make every effort to enter God's rest. Make it, And that's what he's going to say in Hebrews, by the way. He's going to say, make every effort to enter his rest. If you're going to do anything in this life, make every effort to know him and to walk with him and to enter the rest, the peace of God that comes from obedience born faith. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.